So important thing to bring one's attention onto when you've uh, had some time just calming and steadying your mind is teachings of the Buddha, reflections, the supports for encouragement that the Buddha gave us for our uh, freedom, liberation, our well-being. And that's the aim. It's not just a, an academic course. It's not a class in Buddhism. Buddha, Buddha didn't know Buddhism. No class. It's just things he would he'd remind us of. Oh yeah, when your mind is a little bit more restrained and steadied, ah oh yes, you suddenly you can listen more fully and deeply. And generally when you listen more fully and deeply, you take in the teachings, then of course this is instructs you in your day and then you comes back into med- meditation. So this is how this parayati, study and patipati practice, direct practice, work together to give pativedi, clear seeing, clear freedom, liberation. Mm. And it's important to establish this current between a little bit of thinking, some practice, reflection, and keep guiding how you see things, correcting your vision, correcting your views on what life is about. And... uh, what you're here for, birth, death, liberation, you know, non-conflict, um, rescuing the heart from samsara. <laughs> Remember that. We're not here to fix the world. We're here to rescue what can be rescued. And of course, the way we do that is a benefit to everyone. But, you know, it's important to, to get this current of instruction, meditation, reviewing, seeing things more clearly, building it into your life. Then you start a proper current that moves against the current of the samsara. And the current of samsara is these tidal forces called asawa, outflows. The outflows are these energies that run through the heart, throwing it out, Uh, throwing it out into the sense world, seeking satisfaction in that, Uh, trying to find a place in it, comfortable place in the sense world, well, there isn't one really, some are better than others, but because the jitter doesn't really, really belong here. Heart doesn't really belong in the sense world. That's why we never really are able to settle down in it. We leave it. We die. This was just the void, you know, a passage we go through. You know, born into this sense world, then out. It's not the real home. The asava of sensuality keeps throwing you into it. The asava of becoming keeps throwing you into the world of time. You'll get somewhere in the future. In the future, you'll be. Make sure the future's okay. Keep going into that. And that future is basically death again. <laughs> you know, that, that running on. And the kind of anxiety and dread and, and fascination that can build up around what we imagine we're going to get to in the future. It's 
And what you get, where you get to in the future depends on how you're practicing now. If your heart is calm and steady, goodwill, then the future that arises will be for your welfare. If it's confused and agitated, that's how the future is going to be for you. It's pretty, you don't need to be a, a, you know, a wizard to know that. So it reminds us, you know, this outflow is, is dangerous. The outflow of ignorance is that which just keeps the mind tumbling into conditions. It doesn't know itself. It doesn't know its own knowing. It doesn't know its own sensitivity. It doesn't rest in its sensitivity. It's always throwing out, throwing itself into an idea or something there. And its own energies, its eagerness or its fear just tumbles into it, get captured by emotions tides of energy and emotions and we're still trying to find the right one and, just, and that effort to try and find the right one you go more and more into it it's like running on quicksand you know you get onto quicksand you start running and you sink down in it the more you run the more, <laughs> the more you sink and when you're lying on quicksand the best thing to do is just spread yourself out and lie very still quietly and move very slowly, otherwise you sink down. Yeah. And so this is a yeah, asava, not really these outflows. Yeah. One of the basic principles of cultivation, very simply, is, is restraint, sangwara, sangwara to restrain because you know that's exactly one thing that needs to be done you've got to check this running out so you restrain it you hold it restrain it and it's a, it's a skillful means and there are various kinds of restraint that are mentioned it's one of the seven ways to to work against the asava one of the seven ways which is wise attention restraint using things carefully using the requisites carefully uh, um, avoiding unskillful habits, bearing with uncomfortable feeling, mm, removing unskillful thoughts, and developing factors of enlightenment. But restraint is a big one because unless there's restraint, there's no way you can actually start changing the tide. You know, you, unless you check the tide, you can't set up a, a different direction. Right. You know, if the mind is rushing out into the future and what I should be and what I could be, and, and then you, know, you can't develop anything because it's, it's in, the, in the wrong stream. You've got to check that stream and start to establish a countercurrent. My restraint is so um, significant, and of course, um, it sounds many people it sounds kind of unpleasant restraint. I can't do what I want. You know, I've got to be limited. But it's really, it's like a, you know, drowning, somebody's drowning. You say, here, hold on to this line. <laughs> hold on to this. So you're not being drowned by the flood. That's the restraint. It's, it's holding on to something to stop yourself getting pulled away. <laughs> it's like if you're, if you're you know, in a raging torrent and somebody throws a net, you get into the net so you can get dragged out. 
that's the net of restraint. <laughs> it's not it's not, it's not a punishment. It's a rescue it's a rescue remedy. <laughs> and the restraint is um uh, sometimes the detail of the restraint of livelihood, so we see that you know to be unburdened with duties. Look in the Metta Sutta, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. These are the two principal forms of restraint. Um, means you're not taking on a whole lot of stuff, so you're not saturated in work and duties. You've got a little bit of space, and otherwise you just become. The duties and the work, and you go, you go where they're going, which is generally towards busyness and more and more in production and trying to get things done. Lose your balance, unburdened with duties, frugal in their ways. Of course, if you can moderate your expenditure, you don't need to have so much work <laughs> to keep going. So you lower your uh, what your what your you know, living with what, what demands are, then you can, you know, have a little more spare time. You can live more modestly. Uh, this is the Metta Sutta, Sutta on Loving Kindness. See, if you do this, then, mm. you know, interesting, unburdened with duties, frugal in their ways, contented, peaceful, and then naturally the heart has a quality of loving kindness towards others. You don't have to. This is the quality of loving kindness. You don't have to force it. I mean, if you are, if you get out of the flood, naturally the heart naturally opens up into a quality of, well, other beings, you know. We're open, we're interested, we're warm towards others. If we're not completely saturated in our self, it's quite natural to be warm and towards other beings. So one of the other forms of... uh, Ways of looking at restraint, restraint in livelihood, um, restraint in requisites is restraint according to Patimoka. Now, Patimoka is the is the discipline of the monks and nuns. Um, but it actually, what it refers to is mean, meaning it means a thorough bond. It means you act as a community. You act as a community, and not just the monastic community, because you have to live in harmony with the lay people. So the sense in which you begin to let go of your own angle on things for the welfare of the group. And that's that's what you want to do. You, know, you, you restrain, you're restraining your own impulses because you find it's more conducive to liberation to live in harmony with others than to get my own way. This is very important because this is where the myth of the individual is such an unkind uh, myth, the idea that you're a separate individual. Mm. A separate individual is just the body bound to birth and death. Yeah, that's that's separate, but you know, the heart doesn't have to be that way. Mm. This is what it's about, liberation from this limited mortal condition. So part of that is, well, you know, broaden your perspectives, include others, you know, work together as a group. Be with people you find a little bit difficult or don't quite 
operate the way you want them to or can't quite understand. Let's just get broader and more tolerant and spacious. This is loving kindness. It's simple. <laughs> it's the reality of it. And that's dependent upon restraint. Restraining one's um, personal viewpoints in order to live in harmony. It doesn't mean you don't have personal viewpoints. Certainly in uh, Bhikkhu Sangha there's often times when we sit down and exchange our views and then we, okay, thinks this, what do you think? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we try to listen to what's appropriate in terms of the welfare of the community or the welfare of the lay people or the welfare of the Dhamma, the Dhamma is taught and practiced, the welfare of the training, welfare of future generations. And This is about right. And you think, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're in harmony. And that's, that's having that standard of restraining one's individuality for the sake of others. Not just for others, but to have a harmonious experience. This is where we really can feel ourselves settling and coming out of this uh, uh, one of the most difficult experiences for people, isolation and aloneness. Mm. Mm. Now, you know, and we come out of isolation and aloneness not by getting everybody else to agree with me, but by finding a common ground we can all meet on, you know. And this is certainly the beauty of a Buddhist community. You know, the fundamental um, unit is not the individual, it's the community. You know, fourfold assembly, the Sangha, you know, we're relational. So you always got to recognize that the jitta is in relationship to the others, to the past, to parents, to friends, to teachers, to people we have difficulties with. It's always in relationship to something. It's in relationship to our body. It's experiencing that. Relationship to the society is experiencing that. Relationship to feeling is experiencing that. You know? And it's always got to find how, where's the harmonious balance in that. And one of the why we meditate. And uh, one of the fundamental um, requirements of meditation is called Indriya Sangwara. Indriya Sangwara, which means something like restraint of the faculties. Strength of the sense faculties, i.e. ear, nose, tongue, body and mind. Restraint of the sense faculties. Now this is uh, uh, where the asava, the outflows, throw us out into seeing or liking what we see or quarrelling with what we see or hearing and so on. And most significantly, of course, through the mind restraining the mind. This is really what is <laughs> uh, so important in meditation, restraining the mind, restraining its expectations. I want to get this done quickly. No, restrain that, that energy of impatience. Collect yourself. Restrain the mind from trying to get all the answers 
connecting sensitivity be sensitive now restrain the mind from thinking about yourself you know getting this flurry of thinking about yourself restrain thinking about others just careful restrain don't let it spin out (laughs) so this is how you know predicting the future just restrain you know once you get this sense of how what that restraint feels like it's not unkind it's like just like a something keeps running out and you you realize it's much happier if it sits down finds a place to sit down it'd be much more comfortable and wiser and more kind too so it gets but then it gets oh i want to you know <laughs> it remembers the past and starts quarreling you know all this it was speculating about always oh, this how many where did you get to be an arahant or how do you get to be a stream enter or is it this way stream entry or is that anagami on look stop that just you know restrain the mind mm. you know because when that's possible all that energy that's running out is then available to settle down and then you get a sense of it's nourishing the energy instead of being used up in things that are purely speculative really it settles into directly experienced quality of connectedness, calm you can use it you can use the energy rather than be used by it rather than be fascinated by it or irritated by it you can use the energy practice itself has to be (laughs) led by restraint know your measure know what you're capable of you know make your meditation practice something you can actually you can do so it's not something that's too technically complicated may sound really wonderful but actually it's much too complicated for you so do something that you can manage to do Restraining one's idealism and restraining one's effort, restraining one's energy. Now, we are instructed in um, cultivating right effort and with a sense of urgency, you know, you should practice as if your house is on fire or your hair's on fire. But actually, although that's true, your energy has to be balanced. So it's always 75% active, at least 25% receptive. So your, your effort is to maintain that balance. Yeah. Because, uh, so we think, you know, 75%, well, you know, active. But remember, make sure there's a good amount of receptive. Could be 80%, 20%, 50-50. And you're going to find as the mind calms down, your active aspect 
gets less and your receptive aspect gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you just become eventually very still. The intention, the driving action of the mind is no longer needed. So the idea is to move from the intended, you know, keep focusing on this, check this out, investigate this, into just receptive, but it becomes very steady and calm. But you should always recognize that even like 100% of effort really means that as the effort to listen, to be receptive, is part of that 100%, right? Because this itself is quite a, 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 an important thing to, to understand, as I could imagine that particularly in our working life, people are often working at 110% effort you know, to get things done. You know. So you know, they're really pushing it, driving it to get things working out or get things done. So you think, you know, you try to use that in meditation, well, often you're not too tired to do so. And if you're not receptive, you lose the sensitivity. As happens in people's life, they get very busy, fully occupied, they you lose some sensitivity towards other people, even towards your own welfare, your own body. You can find people really working so hard and putting so much effort in there, they don't realise they're stressing their bodies out or not even sensitive to their bodies anymore. They're just completely dissociated from their bodies and can't maintain healthy, relaxed relationships with other people because they're always intense, getting things done. And in that very intense mode, too much, too much, active, not enough receptive, to be able to pause and listen. If you can't be receptive, how can you be wise? You know, wisdom comes from being able to listen, reflect, take in the meaning of something, pause. That, all that's about receptive. So actually what we are doing in meditation is sometimes just about coming back to stillness, to body, to breathing, just returning and relaxing, clearing, clearing, and then listening, 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 receptive. You get meditation is a place to learn that particular mode. This is exactly how meditation works. Otherwise, it's just another work project. It's active and receptive at the same time. We listen a lot. Itaka vichara. Taka, pointing the mind. Vichara, listening. How is that? How is that? You don't have to have an answer. Well, the answer is just to listen. And in that listening space, that open quality of mind, energies begin to settle down, calm, stress, 
your obsessions begin to melt away. Listen, listen to the listening. When you get this, you understand this, you begin to establish this mode of, be, of behavior in your daily life. Restraining thought, restraining the way we conceive of things. The unrestrained mind still expects things uh, to arrive at conclusions in the world, satisfaction, finality, things will be done. Uh, Monasteries, just like anywhere else, there's all kinds of things that need to be done, could be done, you know, and yet we only have so many people, we make a big commitment to meditation, we don't get it all done. And it's, you get some done, you get things not quite finished. It's always like that. It's never finished. It's never completed. It's always unsatisfactory in that respect. But you're saying, well, wait a minute, didn't the Buddha tell us this? You know, you're a disciple of the Buddha, surely you should be able to, you know, this is not that bad. The fact that things are completed and tidied and sorted out and things break down, you know, the tractor's broken down or the car's broken down or this isn't fixed or that or the other or this didn't turn up. I mean, but compared with what some people have to live with, this is pretty easy. Yeah. And if you're a disciple of the Buddha, then you have to be someone who's prepared to accept dukkha as the conditioned reality. When you accept it's a condition of reality, then you don't suffer from it. You don't stick to it because you restrain the mind from complaining, stressing, fighting, taking that dukkha internally. And then you say, oh, it's just that's that. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. We do anything with a sense of doing things carefully, patiently, skillfully, rather than frantically. Being with other people. Many people, this is very difficult. We're all people always tangling with each other, either trying to fix somebody else, make her behave properly, make him a different way. Why doesn't my husband meditate properly? You know, my daughter is making me this, and just restraint. You know, <laughs> did you realise this is dukkha? It's for, uh, and and what you what you're talking about is your own mental impressions of other people which are very variable and uh, as a disciple of the Buddha you've got to recognize your impressions your perceptions your memories are changeable variable uh, yeah. and you're planning a future and you want it to be this way surely as a disciple of the Buddha you should be able to recognize wait a minute you know what's going on here Restraint. So sometimes we kind of get our mind is thinking about how somebody else should be and how you're going to make them this way and how what you're going to do in the future and this, that, and the other thing. What should I do? How can I make this person change into something that I want them to be? How can I make him behave better than this? How can I do? You know, 
what you need to look at is why are you so why don't you restrain yourself <laughs> that's the one you can that's the one you can work with you're trying to fix other people fix yourself <laughs> Restrain. So then the heart opens with a quality of loving kindness rather than law and order. And then you're loving acceptance of other people, non-aversion of other people. You know, that's that's where a relationship begins, where you can begin to help each other. But trying to just make somebody into something something you want them to be is not a healthy relationship can only give rise to stress. If you're a disciple of the Buddha, don't you have heard of anatta, not self? Not self? So what kind of self are you talking to? It's just you're talking to a particular set of behaviours and mental states that, or ways of speaking that you find difficult or you want more of. What are you talking about? That's not a self. And you're trying to make that into a self. Yeah. And make her this, that and the other, the way I want her to be. Surely, if you're a disciple of the Buddha, you understand the principle of the non-self. So we have to establish a proper relationship and rest restrain our impatience or our opinions and views about other people, even about ourselves. You restrain your opinions and views about other people. Likelihood is you'll, you'll be able to restrain your views and opinions about yourself, and that's a great burden off your mind. So, with this kind of restraint, you, instead of all that running out with change this, make that, want this to happen, this has got to be this way. Just mind pauses, opens. The quality of equanimity, ease, you know, compassion. And you have to realize people are heirs of their karma. That's theirs. You know, their defilements are theirs. Or, and uh, the quality of goodwill to encourage and support each other. And all this is born from this one principle, restraint. Restrain the outflows. What must happen if you restrain the outflows, what must happen is a Dhamma comes forth. Goodwill comes forth by itself. Yeah. Clarity comes forth by itself. Wisdom comes forth by itself. When you restrain the outflows, collectedness and understanding happens by itself. Therefore, much of our practice is hinged around careful, judicious, restraining that which needs to be restrained, listening to that which needs to be listened to when we've held back the tide of samsara. So I'll offer this for your reflection this evening. Thank you.